Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about some of the changes here in Illinois, and we're going to be joined by pastor, writer, and speaker, Jarrett Stevens. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm doing well. I have a new microphone, so hopefully we sound a little bit better from my yeah. home. And uh, uh, it is, uh, I, I'm in, like way too excited for the NFL draft today because it feels like real sports. <laughs> so, Listen, no, no, no judgment here, man. Be as excited as your heart desires. I think we, I uh, we can use a little bit of that. Uh, Before we dive into some of the changes here in Illinois and a couple of posts I saw I want to talk about, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk and wherever it is you get your podcast. If you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating and reviewing, all that does really help us out both on the podcast and the Facebook page. Plus, if your hands are full right now, you can just talk to Alexa and say, Alexa, play me the Common Good Radio Show, and she apparently will do it. I don't know. I'm not fancy enough to have an Alexa, but Brian says that it does work. So It does. This is an exercise in trust. And uh, before we get to these two articles, they're more Facebook posts than anything. Uh, why don't you update us a little bit on what's going on here in Illinois? Yeah, it's really important for all of us to know that uh, Governor Pritzker, uh, at his briefing today, uh, is announcing or has announced uh, that the Illinois stay-at-home order will now be in effect through May. And it's not a surprise, but you and I have said this over and over again. It's like with each one, uh, every time there's an announcement that you kind of expect, it's still a big deal to be like, wow, this is like, uh, okay, schools are closed. Wow, big one, even though we expected schools. So the deadline, the original stay-at-home uh, order was going to end April 30th. Everybody knew it was going to go longer. Uh, looks like we're at least going through the end of May, which, again, is not a surprise but there's some finality there. And he said there might be Mm. some changes, uh, some tweaks to what it looks like. So those remain to be seen, what those will be. Uh, But with a lot of states trying to open up real quickly and stuff, Governor Pritzker has kind of said, no, we're not ready for that. They think we're going to peak here in Illinois uh, with our COVID-19 cases uh, kind of around mid-May. So it makes sense. Uh, So keep persevering out there, people. Keep doing what you're doing, uh, at least here through the end of May. Well said, Brian Fromm. All right, I got a couple of things I want to read. I don't typically start shows with Facebook posts. We tend to kind of go more for like what's happening in the news. But truthfully, I'm tired of that. So I'm going to read a couple of posts. And this one I found pretty interesting. So it's got a picture of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Many of you are familiar with that. And it just simply says, uh, we are not here, pointing to the top part of the triangle, which is self-actualization. And then an arrow that says, we are down here, which is safety and needs and physiological needs. So let me just read what Rachel Rohde posted and uh, we'll react. And then I'll share the other one if we have time. Yeah, go for it. She said, I've been seeing so many friends seriously beating themselves up because they aren't, quote, maximizing their time in quarantine by organizing their closets, repainting, developing a side hustle, becoming a piano virtuoso, exercising themselves into a lucrative career as a swimsuit model, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody. Seriously, stop and breathe. If you're feeling adrift, there's a reason. I'm about to drop some first semester nursing school on y'all. It's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, the humans have basic requirements, the bottom of the pyramid, like food, water, air, shelter, sleep, the biological basics. If those are met, then the next rung on the ladder is safety and security. If we feel safe and secure, then we can climb up and start on our love and belonging needs. And on the ladder, we go until we finally reach the very tippy top, which is self-actualization, which would entail all of the cool aforementioned activities. The catch is you cannot level up. 
until the needs at the current level are fulfilled. If the needs remain unfulfilled, we remain stuck on our current level until the situation changes. Friends, in the midst of a pandemic, we are dwelling in the basement of Maslow's pyramid. How in the heck do you think you're going to crush it at level five self-actualization when we can't even find toilet paper for Pete's sake. Your physiological and physical uh, aren't being built to live your best life right now. Your only job is to live a life right now, a luxury that is being denied many, which increases the pressure to really make every day count. But listen, every day you are here counts. Every breath you take counts. Are you eating, drinking water and sleeping at all these days? If so, that is a triumph right now. Cut yourself some slack. Focus on the bottom level. Are you showering, eating a vegetable once in a while, getting some sunshine and fresh air, keeping some semblance of a sleep schedule? Start there and be extra gentle and abundantly gracious with yourself. We'll get through this. And right now, getting through is absolutely enough. What do you What do you think of that so general posture and sentiment? It's so good because with all the changes we've all gone through, we start to, like like she said, heap on these new pressures of like, I should be doing this, I should be doing this. When really right now, we just got to like, it's a, she said it so well, we just have to live our lives. We have to help our kids just live their lives and not put on these, these extra pressures of I should be doing this, I should be doing that. Because right now, we're all just trying to survive and figure out this new reality. And the, the should pressure is real, man. I don't know if you're built that way or if your brain goes there naturally, but like I lie awake thinking about the shoulds. Like I should be writing a book right now. I should be doing 12 more things online. I should be, you know what I mean? Like there's a, yeah. that's not necessarily coming from anyone at the very least. It's not, it's not a, it's not from a scientific journal. It's not from a big publication. It's just somebody online that wrote something that I thought, Oh, mo- hopefully that encourages someone, someone who's maybe right now, feeling like a failure or they just read the news about Illinois and they're like, seriously, how are we going to do this another 30 days? You know what I mean? Like whatever emotional place you find yourself in, I want to start the show not with like hard hitting news and here's what's most current, but maybe more with the posture of hey, be kind to yourself, like be gracious. Like we're all swimming in some waters that we've maybe never swam in before. And I don't know. Do you find that you're good at giving yourself grace in these areas or is this a, an area of struggle for you? No, it's an area of struggle. You yeah. know, you start comparing yourself to other parents, to other pastors, to other whatever, uh, going, man, they seem a lot more productive than me right now. They seem to have everything. They've transitioned perfectly into this new life. Mm-hmm. And I know they haven't, but it seems like they have. And you start saying to yourself, man, I can't like, I still feel like I'm trying to figure out what life looks like right now. No, those shoulds and those comparisons of other people, whether it be parents or uh, or pastors or whatever else, I do struggle with that. So I, people might be curious to know this. I'm kind of curious how you'll answer. What are some of the pressures that you feel uniquely as a pastor? Like you mentioned briefly looking at other pastors or other churches and being like, oh, gosh, maybe I should be doing like what's some of the inner struggle in the life of a pastor as it pertains to like the comparison game? Yeah, like right now, it's it's like uh, you see some churches and they're immediately like, hey, we transitioned smoothly into everything being virtual and we've mm. got our groups rolling and we got this rolling. And you're like, I'm really? still trying to figure out what that looks like for our church, right? Like we're right. still trying to get there. And then, uh, you know, I feel really good about what we're doing on Sunday mornings and this and that. But you see some people, they're like, yeah, you know, we're able to, we're connecting all these different people in this way. And, and rather than... Um, 
you know, you know, I, I think there just comes a point where all of us have to go, okay, I'm good with what we're doing. Like we're doing with our resources and our people the best we can, and then celebrate these other churches that are doing cool things. But I start to look at other people going, oh, maybe, maybe we should be where they're at. Maybe we should not knowing what the resources they have or whatever. So, right. Right. Um, yeah. Sometimes I need to remind myself, just get your eyes on your own church and your own people and, and feel good about what you and your leadership are doing. That's really good, man. Well, coming up next, we're going to be joined by local pastor Jarrett Stevens, who's also an author and a speaker. He just wrote a new book called Praying Through, Overcoming the Obstacles That Keep Us From God. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. There's a bunch of places you can find us. The first is Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles. You can send us a message there if you want. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk and wherever it is you get your podcasts. And one of the things that we've really loved, particularly in this season, is gaining perspective from other voices, particularly voices here in Chicagoland of people that we think are really leading well, are really chasing after the heart of God. And uh, Jarrett Stevens is no exception. Jarrett, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, hey, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate the time. Likewise, man. We really appreciate it. For anyone who maybe doesn't know you or maybe even for people who do, how how would you introduce yourself to our common good audience? Yeah, I'm a Chicagoan. So we, my wife, Jeannie, and I live here in downtown Chicago in the West Loop neighborhood. And uh, we live here with our two kids. We have a teenager and a preteen, 14 and 11, who are now our homeschool students. And uh, we are learning how to both be full-time parents, full-time pastors and also now full-time teachers. So that's been, that's a joy. <laughs> we, uh, about 10 years ago, we started almost about nine and a half years ago, Soul City Church right here in the West Loop. And wow. um, that has been uh, the journey of faith adventure of a lifetime for us. And it is a beautiful, dynamic, diverse church and uh, grown pretty significantly. And we were actually Rolling out our next couple locations starting this fall, and all of that obviously is now put on pause given the days that we are walking through. But we right. are excited to see how God is growing His church, growing this church through mm. these unprecedented times. So, mm. written a couple books as well as pastoring, and um, the most recent one is Praying Through, which came out a couple months ago. Awesome, Jared. Um, we've been asking everyone coming on just what have these last couple weeks and months been like for you as a dad, but also as a pastor, what have you Mm -hmm. seen going on around your church as we've all just kind of had to hit the pause button here? Yeah, you know, I would say uh, we definitely have had to hit pause to life as we knew it. I would say our our church, our team went into overdrive and um, Mm -hmm. completely reinvented everything we did. We actually made the call a couple hours before the governor's uh, announcement to do shelter at home here in Illinois. And so we made the call that the smartest and wisest and best thing for us to be a part of, you know, bringing an end to this is to cancel all gatherings. And, you know, that's a couple thousand people that are coming to our church over over the course of a, you know, weekend over the course of a month. And so that was a lot of communication, but then we just kind of went into overdrive to how can we reach people where they're at with, the hope of Jesus in really kind of dark and difficult days. And so it's been overdrive, I would say, for us the last six weeks. And mm. I'm totally blown away by our staff, by their innovation. We have completely made everything we do digital. Obviously, our services, we've started a, 
a daily uh, prayer and worship time that we do on Instagram and Facebook every morning. And, um, and then we've all moved all of our small groups to virtual groups, to zoom groups uh, as if people don't have enough zoom in their life. <laughs> and uh, we are, we are zooming our way on through this and, um, and then offered immediate crisis care groups, um, which filled up immediately for folks who are um, really wrestling and struggling with some of these new realities that are still unfolding. And and then also lean double double down on our partnerships. Um, so we've actually partnered with World Vision and with Chicago Public mm. Schools. Every Friday, we provide meals to a couple hundred families here in our neighborhood who uh, depend on their meals. Their kids depend on their meals from the schools, which are obviously closed. And um, double down on our partnership with Breakthrough Urban Ministry here in the city, and um, have seen our church really rise to this. It's just it's bizarre and it's on un, mm. you know, uncharted yeah. waters for us, but. I've been blown away. And I would say just, you know, long answer to short question. I think it finally all hit me yesterday. I was finishing up recording the message for the weekend and it finally just hit me. It just my, my own sort of grief and fatigue of, Mm -hmm. you know, just carrying our own family's burdens, trying to figure out how to do all of this and our own personal losses that we've been walking through as a family in the midst of this, as well as just reinventing church for a completely digital environment and experience. So you know, I would say today was going slow with God and, and recovering mm-hmm. and, and just, re, you know, sitting in the fact that just about everything as we know it has changed. Yeah. And um, so, you know, we're all walking through that in different ways. Yeah, no kidding. Thanks for saying that, by the way, because I've been having a similar experience. I feel like the adrenaline starting to wear off a little right. bit. Right. And like when that takes a dive, that's when some of like the real grief started to emerge yep. for me. What would you say to the person who's having a similar experience right now, the last four or five weeks, they're like, all right, we're doing it. We're innovating, yeah. we're course correcting. And then they woke right. up today and they're like, I'm, t- I'm tired. I don't know that I yeah. have a lot left in the tank. Like what challenge or encouragement would you give to that person? Yeah, I would say in that, that is definitely, there is, you know, grief is something that no one loves. No one wants to walk through and yet everyone does. And the interesting right. thing is, and I write about this in the book and praying through is that everybody walks through grief, but nobody knows how to deal with it. No, there's not a manual because every grief right. is different. You know, I, right. in the midst of grieving all of the way our life has changed, uh, I had a, a sibling, one of my older brothers, Scott, passed away about a week right. bef- week after this shelter at home. So it's Gosh. like, so there's that level of grief. And we're trying to figure out how do you grieve when you can't get together? How do you... Right be it with a family, you know, how, how are you with your family and people that you love in the, this time when you can't physically be there, there's that level of grief. There's grief over loss of a job. There's mm-hmm. grief over just life as we once knew it. Our kids are grieving. My son's eighth grade graduation would be, you know, coming up this next month and that's not right. happening. His DC trip, you know, these are all, we can say they're small things, but they're meaningful things. And I think mm-hmm. that one of the things that we, I've seen as a pastor for low these many years <laughs> is that, uh, you know, grief has the power to either blow up someone's faith or grow up someone's faith. That's good. If, if we can learn to come to God with our grief and to bring it all to him, our heart as it is to God, if we can learn to do that, that has the power to grow up our faith, like nothing else in our life. You know, it's I, in the book, I describe it. It's like a gift wrapped in sandpaper with a barbed wire bow. Like no one wants, the, <laughs> no one wants the gift of grief. I would never choose. None of us would ever choose any right, of this, right? right. Whatever level of grief or, or way that we're walking through it. But I believe that there's a gift inside that, that something grows in the soil of grief that simply does not grow in any other soil or any other season. Yeah. And so, you know, I, that's the hope would be that people would be able to come to God with it, that, 
they would be able to bring it all to God to trust that he knows he's, you know, he knows what it's like to, you know, watched his own son die. He knows what it's like to watch, you know, his creation, people that he's created, the world that he's created suffer. He's, he is very familiar with grief. And so mm-hmm. the real spiritual shift for us is to be able to turn and begin to take that to God as it is. And as we are, that's yes. good, man. I've got kids pretty much this very similar age that you do. I'm curious, mm-hmm. how are you helping your kids process? Because they have lost a lot. They are struggling right, yeah. with this. Yeah. How, what are some things you're doing with your kids right now? Yeah, well, we, you know, we already, um, you know, I grew up in and around the church. So I had enough kind of exposure and experience to seeing what uh, can happen to pastor's kids and um, <laughs> and was friends with a few along the way and just had kind of enough inner conviction when, when we invited kids into our family, when Gene and I, you know, brought kids into our family, we just said, okay, we're both in full-time ministry. Let's set up some new ground rules. And so one of those is that we always eat dinner together. I mean, it's the very rare exception, you know, unless there's some event at the church or there's something going on, which <laughs> there are no events at the church these days. Right. <laughs> uh, so we have a meal together every Every night we're doing that. And so that's our time to process. How are you feeling? What's going mm-hmm. on? We just ask them to share in their words. We don't try and fill in the blanks for them. We ask them, what is it that you really missed today? What are you really sad about today? What is something new that you learned today? Um, and we're trying to just give grace upon grace upon grace. Can you, I mean, yeah. just uh, listen to all the ways that we're complaining and we're struggling through having to do Zoom meetings and having to refigure out their they're going through the same thing. They're, they're trying to figure out how to do zoom education, like distance learning with teachers who do not know how to do it in most cases. And so, you know, they're having their own struggles. And so it's grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. And then one of the things we did was just when we saw this was all going to be this way for a while, we just, you know, we actually are blessed to have a yard in the city here, Mm -hmm. which is a very rare thing to have a Mm -hmm. green patch in, in the city. And so we have a little yard and we're like, you know what? It's big enough for a trampoline. Yes. We got it. We got it in the budget. Like why, why, nice. who cares if it doesn't fit our aesthetic for the backyard? Like we're putting a trampoline. <laughs> in, so these kids can have some joy in, uh, in their lives. So that is also just one of those, like, what can we do to just spark some joy yeah. and creativity for them and, and shower them in grace. And so we're, we're a pretty process oriented family. We talk mm-hmm. our way and work our way through what's going on in our hearts. And so we can do that together and bring that to God together. And so, you know, that's that open dialogue, checking mm-hmm. in with them, I think is incredibly important. And then also Gene and I share in our disappointments, mm-hmm. our frustrations, our letdowns, mm-hmm. our sadness with them, that letting them see us as we're working through this with God. Man, please tell me the title of your next book is Trampolines Over Aesthetic. I would. I would. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Jeannie's going to co-author that one with me. That was a that was a big conversation to just kind of give in. But no, she, it was actually, honestly, it was her idea. I never would have thought we'd be a trampoline family. But I'm looking out our window right now and there it is. So hey, that's Jared, amazing. I will add that we put up a trampoline the first week of this as well. So <laughs> see, it's either you get a puppy or you get a trampoline or if you're lucky, you get, you get both. So yeah, get, getting both is probably the most dangerous option. Well, that third <laughs> voice exactly. you're hearing is none other than Jared Stevens. He's a pastor. He's a speaker. He's also the author of the most recent book, Praying Through, which feels like a prolific subtitle here, Overcoming the Obstacles That Keep Us From God. We're going to talk to him coming up next a little bit more about that book, about pastoring in the city, about pastoring with your spouse, and uh, really whatever else comes to mind. That'll be next here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. There's a bunch of places you can find us. The first is Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles. You can send us a message there if you want. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk and wherever it is you get your podcasts. And we are thrilled to be joined for one more segment. Jared Stevens, a pastor, writer, speaker, has been in Chicagoland for a long, long time. But he most recently wrote a book, 
called Praying Through, Overcoming the Obstacles That Keep Us from God. This book is only like a couple months old, right? Yeah, it just came out in January of this year. Yeah. So. Incredible. So tell us a little bit about the book and, and why you wrote it. Yeah, I mean, it came out of two parts. It came out of a, there's a personal side of it and a pastoral side of it. So I've been in relationship with Jesus for most of my life since I was seven or so years old. Hmm. And so that means I've been praying for most of my life. And that also means because of that, I've been wrestling with prayer for most of my life. In some seasons, it came sweet and natural and easy. In other seasons, it was a struggle and a burden even just to connect to God. And so there's my own personal journey. And as I was reflecting on that, I thought, well, I, I bet I'm not the only person who's ever wrestled with or struggled or gotten stuck right. in prayer. And then obviously yeah. being a pastor all these years, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with, with folks who feel like, I just, I feel like I'm not praying right. I feel like I'm not praying enough. I feel like, yeah. I don't know if God hears me. I don't know. I feel right. angry at God. I don't know how to express that, you know? And so it came out of a personal side and a pastoral side to just say, well, what if all of these obstacles, because there are many, and I, each chapter is kind of an obstacle that would we would think could keep us from God. But what if we were to kind of like turn it like a little gem, you know, you kind of turn it and see another little aspect and go, what if that actually was an opportunity for you to connect to God maybe like never before to pray your way through life, whatever season you may be walking through, whether that's like we were talking about a bit ago through things that you're grieving or how do you pray when you don't have any words to say? How do you pray when you don't hear God say anything? How do you pray when you need direction? How do you pray when you're worried? How do you pray when you're new to prayer? If you're brand new to prayer, just starting out, you know? And so that really is what the book is. Each chapter kind of stands alone on its own. And I found lots of folks go like, man, I, the whole book, you know, was just for this one chapter. And like, I don't, I didn't have to read the rest of it, which I don't know if it's a compliment or not, but you know, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. So, you know, that really is the heart behind the book is turning those obstacles into opportunities to connect with God in, in a deeper and more fresh and meaningful way. That sounds amazing. You know, as a pastor, like you just said, I often get that question of, I don't know even how to pray, which is such a weird question to answer. So I'm curious in your book, how do you even answer that basic question when someone asks you, Pastor, how do I even start to pray? Yeah, well, you know, the without being in demeaning or, or belittling in any sort of way, you know, my, my thought is, do you know how to talk to a friend? Do you know mm -hmm. how to do you know how to get excited at a sports game? You know, back when we used to go to sports events, you know, like, <laughs> well, we do you know right. do you, if you if you know how to do that? Well, then you, you're on your way to worship. Do you know how to write a thank you card to someone? Well, then you know how to give God your gratitude. Do you know mm -hmm. how to, to to worry? You know, and everyone's like, well, yeah, yeah, of course, I worry about all kinds of things. Well, well awesome. Then you just you already know how to meditate. The, the only problem is that your meditation is in the wrong direction, you know, but you right. know how to meditate on something so much that that's all you think about. Well, <laughs> what good. if you could turn that around? So it's taking things that. And I use this phrase in the book, like things that you're already awesome at. Let's take what you're already awesome at and then say, okay, how can I actually be begin to apply this to God? Because I think sometimes we, we make, we, we overcomplicate prayer. You know, we mm -hmm. just make it so complicated or we hear people pray and we go, oh gosh, I'll never, I'll never pray like that. I could yeah, never, right. I don't have that kind of, yeah. I could never do that. Right. And I think really the, the, the hardest for this book is let's uncomplicate, let's normalize prayer so that it becomes the supernatural thing that we do in the natural course and rhythm of our everyday lives. That's good, man. One, one of the things, too, that we've realized doing this show is how much more receptive people are right now for things like prayer and spiritual disciplines, like the right. Google searches for how to pray or right. how to read the Bible have gone through the roof. And I'm wondering, both as a pastor, as a leader, as an author, as a dad, as a husband, like what are some other things that you would challenge people to consider while their rhythms are just wildly out of whack. People are like, oh, yeah. gosh, nothing looks normal now. Like what are the things that you found helpful or that you've instructed your church towards in like yeah. how to navigate these really like uncharted waters? 
Yeah, well, I'll share with one with, that I did this morning. I told you I had to kind of pull away, slow down yeah. a little bit. And the the practice, you know, there's a chapter in the book on how to pray when you need to say thanks. And it's like this one outlier chapter because all the other ones seem like obvious challenges or problems or obstacles, but no one's walking around going, you know, I just don't say thanks enough. Like no one really feels <laughs> right. the pain of that problem, right? But right. I found that that really actually is a place where we so often get stuck is our lack of expressing gratitude. And what happens when you express gratitude is it radically reframes your attitude. It radically reorients your perspective. And so for me, it's how can I, so just this morning, it was God, this is what I thank you for. And I talk about this a little bit in the book. You know, it's easy for me to thank God for the obvious things and what we would call the good things. You're like, God, thank you for our house. God, thank you for our yard. Thank you for that trampoline, which I never thought I'd see. You know, <laughs> thank you for the obvious things. But then to go even deeper and go, well, what about the challenges? What, what does it mean to actually be able to pray and, and to rejoice in God in all seasons? What does it mean to thank mm. God for every season? And so, God, I'm feeling depressed and I'm feeling overwhelmed. Mm. God, thank you that you... I mean, this morning, thank you, God, that you created me with limits. You, you mm -hmm. made me with limits so that I would be dependent on you. Thank you, mm -hmm. God, for that. And that act of gratitude is something that anyone can do. You can stop at any moment in the day. You can just, you know, take 30 seconds to just go, God, what am I grateful for right here, right now in this moment? And then, you know, for bonus points, push past the obvious things. What are even the mm -hmm. challenges, the struggles, the difficulties that might actually open up your awareness to the goodness of God that you might not recognize otherwise? Hmm. And so I think I have just found that we've led our staff through times of gratitude. Jeannie taught on gratitude a couple of weeks ago, how powerful it is when everything feels out of control mm -hmm. to actually say, God, no, you are good. You are still in control. And this is what I thank you for. This is what I praise you for. It, it, hmm. it, I'm just telling you, for me personally, it radically reframes my attitude, my perspective. That's awesome. Hey, I want a quick question about your church. So you and your wife, Jeannie, co-lead the, the church which yeah. uh, sounds really awesome, but also seems really complicated <laughs> for a marriage. Yeah. Like, yep. How do yep. you guys do that? What are the What are the joys of that? What are the struggles and yeah. the boundaries you have to have? I'm really kind of fascinated by that. Yeah. This is. Do we have another hour segment? Like, this is, this is, <laughs> there's yeah, so not? much good. There's so much good, and there's so much you know inherent sort of challenge with it. Like for any couple who's running a business together, you know that the joy is that we get to sit front seat together. We get to sit in the front seat together and see God move in unbelievable ways. We get to share a calling to ministry. We get to share the highs and lows together. You know, I mean, it, it that there's something really powerful and beautiful about that. And it wasn't something we ever set out to do. It just sort of, as we looked at our gifts and our passions and our callings, it just sort of kind of made sense at some point. Well, you know, you're really gifted in these areas. I'm really gifted in these areas. We both feel called to the local church. What if we could do this together? And so there are plenty of upsides and, and ways that we're able to create a life, a rhythm. You know, we're, she's not on one schedule. I'm not on another. We actually have the same rhythm, which helps with our kids and helps us kind of have some consistency there. That's awesome. Hmm. You know, and then the downsides are when work is over, it's over. And when is it over? When is it ever over when you're both carrying it and thinking about it all the time? Right. Right. And so for us, we've had to draw real strong, clear boundaries on our conversations, on our work time. You know, we'll catch ourselves in bed at nine 30 at night going, wait a second, this is save this for a meeting. Why are we talking about this right now? This is not, this is not a place for this. This is not, this is, this space was not made for talking about work. And so, uh, so, you know, for us, that's been an ongoing ongoing, especially over these last 10 years at Soul City Church, an ongoing struggle for us to just go, okay, how do we really get clean and clear with our rhythms, right. our Sabbath, our right. technology, like putting phones away, no email. And 
and being really clear. And then the other piece is just being really clear and supportive of, of each other's gifts. Yeah, you know, right. not trying to step on each other's toes, not trying to get involved in the other person's things and being really clear. We do, we, we tell our team all the time, we work twice as hard behind the scenes so that it feels natural and hopefully normal to them. Cause the last thing we want is a, a two headed monster running yeah. this church. Yeah. No kid. I, I could see that too, like creeping into even like date night. Like, Hey baby, I was thinking totally. about 100%. changing the lights in the sanctuary and like, what are we doing? <laughs> no, what are we talking about? No, it's either. Yeah. Kids or church. It's like, you know, and yeah. there's enough to talk about there for, but with both. And it's like, we right. have to create a life for ourselves that is not just all that. And so that takes time and work and choosing intimacy over productivity is our journey. Um, it really is our journey. And so, That's you know, but good. it's, uh, there's way more upsides. All right. So we're already out of time, but I also know that you're like a music guy and I would love to know real briefly, what are you listening to right now in the midst of this quarantine? Oh man. Well, yeah. I mean, I love, I cannot play any music, um, but I am a closet DJ. In fact, as we're recording this <laughs> right now, I'm actually in a couple hours going live on Instagram for a DJ party. A couple hundred folks joined last week. So we'll Heck see yes. what happens tonight. <laughs> so, you know, for me, it's, it's always going to be old school golden era hip hop. I mean, that yes. really is like, there's, I can't get enough from about 87 to about 93. That's just, that's my sweet spot right there. <laughs> and so, uh, and what's been really fun, you talk about discipleship, you know, I couldn't have forced this to happen, but my son has just grown to love old school hip hop. And so yes. we, we have awesome. a source for the clean version. So that, that's the rules. Like you can listen, but it's gotta be the clean version. And so, you know, when my son, you know, knows the, all the words to, you know, some, I won't even say the band because I don't want to offend anyone, but you know, some, some group from the early nineties and he's right. sitting right next to me saying all the words. I'm like, okay, God, you're good. This is good. This is, this is some legacy stuff right here. Yes. So that's, that's always, um, that's the well I'm always going to go back to. And, you know, I know the answer should be worship music. And I do love all of that. <laughs> I really do, but I'm just, if we're going to be honest, I do love that. I sing it every week. And also I really love golden era hip hop. No, you answered, you answered correctly, man. That was amazing. That uh, is Jared Stevens, pastor and writer and speaker. Uh, if you're just joining us, I can't encourage you enough. Listen to the podcast, go to jaredstevens.com learn more about their church and his writing and all the stuff that he's doing. Jared, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, man. Thank you guys. Grateful for you guys. And uh, thanks for this time. It's our pleasure, man. You're listening to the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone. Welcome back to the common good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the world wide web. Uh, the Facebooks, maybe you've heard of it. The common good radio show is where we're at. You can have conversations with us there. You can shoot us a message. You can see the articles we're talking about. You can also review that page. That helps a whole lot. Also, wherever it is, you get podcasts. If you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing, all of that does somehow magically help us out. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. And I've mentioned that all week at this particular time, we're featuring a podcast that my alma mater is doing, Judson University, the Judson Daily Podcast. And this week, they have a very, very special guest, John Perrine, who has an entire collection called Meaning Making in the Midst of Pandemic. And today's is called Creating and Cultivating. Take a listen. Hello, Judson family. Once again, this is John Perrine, a pastor from the Chicagoland area, good friend of Chris, who's taking over the mic this week to explore a series on meaning making in the midst of a pandemic. Now, why a series on meaning making and where have we been so far? For many of us, the strangeness of this quarantine is that it has stripped us of all of those comforting rhythms that used to offer us meaning. And so as I've been exploring this question with you, we first began by observing that the world has lost its story. This is 
in some ways, the crisis of our meaning making. We don't know what the story is. And so in order to recover the story, we turned to the book of Deuteronomy, the mic drop of Moses, and talked about the gift of remembering, remembering and not forgetting who God has been to us. In this last episode, we turned next to friendships, not simply surface or shallow friendships, but the deep covenantal sacrificial friendships that we see in the likes of Jonathan and David. This episode, I want to turn to a third source of meaning that's offered to us from the scriptures. In order to do so, we need to travel all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So when we return to the garden, we discover this blessing that God says over humanity. I'm sure if you've ever looked at Genesis 1, if you've ever sat through the Sunday school on creation, you would have heard this blessing. And yet this blessing becomes one of the great keys to unlocking humanity and how humanity functions in this world. So this is going to come from Genesis 1 and it's verse 28. It says, And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and rule and subdue the earth, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So there's four verbs that come in this blessing. And these verbs are going to be offered to humanity as the direction for how they are intended to live. The four verbs are this. Be fruitful multiply, rule the earth, and subdue it. Fruitful and multiply, rule and subdue. Scholars have broken down these two verbs to notice there's really two themes, two major directives that are coming out of this. First is the theme of creativity, imaging God by being creative like God. This is to be fruitful and to multiply. Now, the most literal way to be fruitful and multiply is clearly intended that humanity would bear children, which is probably not something that you're doing during this pandemic. Yet, in a broader sense, the call to be fruitful and to multiply is the act that all humans participate in whenever they use their imagination to create something, to take something that did not previously exist and to now birth it, to bring it forth into this world. Creativity looks like drawings that take a blank canvas and fill it with incredible images. Creativity looks like baking when you take ingredients and you bear forth something wonderful and new. Creativity looks like the musician who takes the strings or the keys of an instrument and brings forth a new melody. Or creativity looks like the millions and millions of other ways that each of us, whether we're writing down a paper, we're typing out a text message, we're talking to our friends, every act that is fruitful and multiplying is an act of creativity. That's the first theme. The second theme is cultivating. Rule the earth and subdue it. In this call to rule and subdue, you find humanity taking something that already was created and now offering it order and structure. I love to think of the cultivating that's required in order to come up with an org chart. Cultivation also looks like organizing your calendar, putting together 
a list of things you need to do for the day. Responding to emails, uh, trimming down all of those unread messages. Every one of these acts is cultivating the earth. It's taking the raw materials that are given to you and it's organizing and structuring them in a new way. When you think about it, all work is rooted in God's initial blessing that humanity would be creative, that they'd be fruitful and multiply, and that they would cultivate, that they would rule and subdue. And if you go back and consider everything from your life as a student to the hourly work that you possibly did to even the chores now that you may have to do at home, you in your work are participating in God's blessing to to image him as his creation. So what's the point for us in the midst of a pandemic? Well, some of our meaninglessness, our struggle with meaning, happens when we cannot participate in this meaningful work that God gave us. In fact, some of the struggle, particularly when you get bored, even if we're being honest, when you endlessly stream Netflix or when you're playing hour after hour of video games or scrolling Instagram, the problem is that you aren't actually being creative or cultivating. And so in the listlessness of just filling your time, you're losing touch with the very creation mandate that God has given you. So my point practically and simply for you is that if you're struggling at all right now with depression, if you're feeling listless, if you seem to find your days just disappearing without a purpose, the invitation is to return to the inherent, meaningful mission God gave you in creation, and that is to either be creative or to cultivate. So a few practical suggestions, and you know this to be true. What if today you picked up a book allowed your imagination to creatively engage. What if you tried a new recipe? Just simply went online, looked up a recipe, went to the grocery store and tried it, tried something new. What if you drew or sketched something today? Now, I will be the first to admit I am terrible at drawing, but every time I sit down to even sketch or doodle, I find something activated within me, something meaningful. Another idea, what if you go on a photography walk today? What if instead of simply walking around or exercising, you engaged your creativity? You could go online and watch a tutorial to learn a new skill. You could sit down today and jot out notes for that business proposal, that podcast idea, whatever it is that has been energizing you that's inherently rooted in that creative or cultivating task. You see, it's utterly simple. And yet for so many of us, we have not been invited into a vision that tells us that God created us for just such work, to be creative and to cultivate. So I want you to pause here, wherever you're at, take a deep breath in as we invite the Lord's Spirit to come. And as you slow down, what is the work that the Lord is inviting you into today? Where might you connect to your creativity? Think now, this will take intentionality. This will take discipline. But how might the Lord be with you 
in your creativity? How might the Lord be inviting you to cultivate in something as simple as cleaning your room? How might the Lord be with you in that ruling and subduing? Wherever you are, I extend to you the blessing of God that he has created you for work. That in the midst of this pandemic, wherever you are, you can tap in to that God-given image-bearing capacity that just like your maker and savior, you too can in small, simple ways create, bring forth new life and multiply, and that you can cultivate wrestling and subduing the very creation God has entrusted to you. Thanks, friends, for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about what is God doing in the midst of this corona crisis world. Also, 11 ways that we will be different and how are introverts navigating this season. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. If you made it through the first hour, we're glad to have you in the second hour. If you're just joining us, I cannot recommend enough that you go back and listen to the podcast because Jared Stevens in the first hour was on fuego. It was phenomenal. He and his wife are local pastors in Chicago at Soul City Church, and we are just incredibly grateful for them and their leadership and friendship. And one of the things I want to make sure that you know about is you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all the articles that we talk about, even sometimes articles we don't talk about. There's some lively discussions happening over there. You can also uh, review that page or share it with a friend, and you can send us messages if you have ideas for shows or topics or ideas Plus, we're podcasted wherever it is you get podcasts. If you wouldn't mind, subscribing, rating, and reviewing does really, truly, honest to God, hand in my heart, help. And uh, it takes just a couple of seconds. And we're also on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. And Brian and I, it's been interesting because when we first started in this quarantine conversation, I remember you and I talking about like, gosh, it's going to be hard to find anything but the coronavirus to talk about. Mm-hmm. And what's been interesting is that so many people have written so many unique, thoughtful pieces about how to navigate it right now, about what, what it's going to look like in the future. A little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about how we're introverts handling all this. Um, but there's an article by Anthony Delaney, and the headline simply is, God is doing a new thing in this corona crisis world, which is a sentiment that I've heard a lot of people give some version of. But I think his perspective is actually really unique. Do you want to, you want to get us into it a little bit? Yeah, and later in the article, he he does lay his cards on the table a little bit when he says, I don't want to go back to normal church. Normal church was rubbish. It was underperforming at best and unbiblical at worst. Mm. I still Mm. believe the best days for the church are ahead of us, he says, but only for those who seize the day and see the supernatural creativity released by the Spirit hovering over the chaos to birth exciting, innovative, externally focused ministry to help people who are lost and alone find their way back to God. And so... Mm. Uh, that's his bent, right? That's where he's right. coming from. Uh, but but he is saying, he says, the question he's trying to answer is, what if God has brought us into the missional moment we've been saying might happen and could happen and should happen for years? Hmm. He quotes Alan Hirsch, his friend Alan Hirsch, he says, has written so much to try to prepare us for the next reformation, uh, not of our uh, soteriology, how we are saved, but of our ecclesiology, how we are church. And, and so he's basically saying, listen, 
how we've normally done church has just been taken away from us. Something you and I've talked about a bunch here. And he sees that as a very good thing. In fact, he is saying it's an opportunity uh, to not only do church differently now, but mm. to do church differently. And again, remember, he's coming from a particular bent. He's saying it for him. He wants to see us do church differently for good going mm. forward mm. and to seize this opportunity. He sees this as a new thing uh, that we have an opportunity as the church to take a hold of. Well, I love what he says here, too. It's a pretty long article. We won't have time to get to all of it. And I I overshot, man. I put like three or four links <laughs> in this one segment. And then I started reading this again. And I was like, no, this is we might just land here for the rest of the segment. Yeah, no, but he, he talks about the one verse discipleship plan. He says there is a simple pattern of discipleship formation laid out in First Thessalonians 2, 8. Here's what First Thessalonians 2, 8 says. We cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. He says, take a closer look at that. This goes way beyond the giving of a great talk or making small talk. It may start with someone pressing hearts on a Facebook stream, but will only change hearts when and if we can say and show that. And then he breaks down the verse. We cared for you. And then parenthetically, personal, corporate, and one-to-one. Why? Because we loved you, not a program, but a passion for people. We shared with you, giving, receiving, mentoring, mutuality, not only the gospel, the life-changing content, but our lives as well. A life changed by that message, what that looks like for real with all the messiness and miracles. And I'd never, I don't know that I've ever read someone lay out 1 Thessalonians 2.8 as like the one verse discipleship plan, but I, I think I think he makes some really good points there. He does. I've actually never seen that verse laid out in that way. And uh, it's this sharing of our lives. And uh, he definitely lays out a great framework for what church can be um, kind of in, in the church world, right? That, that kind of missional mindset, that missional church. And uh, he, he, you can tell he sees it as a complete loss uh, mm. of an opportunity and a missed opportunity if out of this, you know, six months from now, we're kind of all back to doing the church the same way. He's like, we God has, has done some new things through this moment uh, that he would like to see the church embrace. It'll be interesting. You and I have talked a lot and we don't have a good answer for how is how is the church, Big C Church, going to look different? What is the new normal going to be? And he's really laying out what he thinks it should be. Well, and I think it's interesting, too, because and maybe we'll talk about this later in the show or tomorrow. You would share a Gospel Coalition article that says churches, you don't have to compete with Disney. That's certainly a sentiment that I've heard from a number of people. I shared a tweet from a guy named uh, Mark Hewardine. Here's what he said. He says, hey, church people faithfully streaming low budget, shaky amateur daily prayer or Sunday service from your messy house because you want to serve your church community and offer what you can to God in love. That's your perfume poured over mm. Jesus' feet. It's beautiful. Keep going. Like that to me. Now, I, I did have some friends. My buddy Nate commented. He says, oh, I thought he was going to say that all the production and light shows and graphic packages aren't what matters. So maybe don't. <laughs> 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 Clearly, it's just interesting because, um, you know, I have friends in kind of both camps. I have friends who are production experts, and they feel like the, the way that they worship and give back is by providing right like great video content or a, or a stage setup or lighting that's really, really on point. And so I, I see both sides of it, but I, I like what Delaney is getting at here and kind of the general sentiment that you and I have sort of repeated, I think, is that I don't know that the goal will be to go back to normal. Right. I get the longing to go back to normal. I think that's a totally normal sort of longing. 
But do you do you think that Delaney lays out a convincing enough case of like what what the new normal should become? I think he really does. And and when I take that tweet that you that you referenced here um, as well, when you put those together, like, um, you know, this tweet kind of gets at the we're all trying right now. And a lot of it, you know, he says, you know, you're holding your phone and it's messy and this and that. And so kind of you take those two together. The question is going to be, are we going to be willing to start up churches again after this and allow them to be messy, allow us to try things, allow us to, or do we go back and like, all right, now I got to have everything in order. Everything's got to be perfectly produced and perfectly planned when we're not able to pull that off in this season right now. Uh, And so when you take those two together, that article and that tweet, I do think they paint a great picture. Like the things we're kind of embracing now, what would it look like if we embraced them later? And what would that mean for the church? And what would that free up in order of us to be able to be missional and to love people and to to pour ourselves out for our neighbors and for others? Well, and one of the things that I appreciate about how he lays it out is kind of a, like a bull fan. Like later in the show, if we have time, I have a, a link to an article that talks about uh, the way that our memory works during the, the times of crisis mm-hmm. and how we're going to forget this. Right. Like we make decisions now like, man. Yes, we've got some new clarity about what the church needs to be. And then the temptation will be for probably all of us to drift back to what the old normal was. That's really that's really common. And I think part of what he says here, he says the job of a communicator is not just to get a message out, hoping it lands. We must be aware of who we are talking with. Notice not to why it's so important and why is this the best way to communicate this now and in this manner? What out of all the messages out there are we vitally focused on and how do we forge and grow connection leading to community? What's the best next step? I want to press in on that for the rest of this post. So he kind of spends the rest of the article talking about the how aspect and how that actually leads to community rather than just simply the dissemination of information, which is tricky to think through when all you have is like a live stream right now, you know? Right. Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, it is going to be weird. I think that's a great point you make about eventually we forget and eventually we go back. And so it is going to take some uh, intentionality to go, you know what? Uh, here, There are things right now that I don't miss about how we did church, right? And how right. things were. And, and so the question is, do we just uh, out of reflex go back to those things? Or do we go, no, you mm-hmm. know what? We're going to make changes right now for the good of the church and the good of the mission. I think it's going to be a fascinating time. There's going to be many a books written um, I, I think Ed Stetcher's got two books out of this right now. We'll have to have him back on the show to talk about it, man. I think yeah, you're right on. Well, coming up next, here's the headline. The legacy of the pandemic, 11 ways it will change the way we live. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. First off, how are you doing, listener? I don't I don't feel like I ask you nearly enough. <laughs> I just jump right to the Facebook page and the podcast and blah, 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 blah. How are you doing? I just go ahead. You can you can respond wherever you're at. Just say it out loud. How, how are you doing? Oh, uh, gosh, I hope there's people out there talking to the radio right now. <laughs> that, that would make me so happy. I feel like I just pulled like a Fred Rogers. Isn't that something Fred Rogers would do? That is so funny you say that in my mind as you're doing that. I'm going, this is the most Mr. Rogers thing he has ever done. That was literally my thought. I'm, you know, I am wearing a cardigan right now. And <laughs> um, I don't have my puppets out right now, but uh, I could go get them. Anyway, now it's time for the information. You can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles. And it's been so fun. It's been so interesting to see people weigh in and have conversations on the articles because 
we know that there's a rich diversity of perspectives out there. We would love for this show to serve you well. So if you have ideas or suggestions, shoot us a message. You can find us on podcast. You can subscribe, rate, review to all that. That helps us out. And on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. And I mentioned earlier, we want to talk about this article from Vox, The Legacy of the Pandemic, 11 Ways It Will Change the Way We Live. But first, Brian is going to tell us about something really cool that the station's doing. Yeah, as we've been telling you the last uh, couple weeks here that we do know during the coronavirus pandemic here that we uh, that many businesses have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. And we also know, though, that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. So if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. All one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form and we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. Here's the best part. It's totally free. No catch. Uh, just go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. That's really, really exceptional, Brian. Probably your best read so far. <laughs> now you're just being patronizing. <laughs> That's true. Right, so, so here's the uh, the subheading of this article. Few aspects of life are untouched by coronavirus and resulting global lockdowns. From an emerging, quote, quarantine state of mind to a new era of frugality to expanding how we vote, here's what's next. So we might not have time to get to all 11. Again, just encourage you go to the Facebook page, read them. Which ones do you disagree with? Which what would you add? And uh, Brian, I'm going to let you kick us off. They're not numbered here, so be careful. But all the bolded ones there are the 11 ways that this pandemic will change the way we live. I do like that you you could also read my mind from across many miles. I'm like, where's the list? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just trying to be just trying to be helpful. Uh, a quarantine state of mind. Uh, will rain for weeks, if not months. That's number mm. one. It says, for many, the doldrums of the quarantine are now giving way to a post-isolation fantasies as people pledge to spend more time with family and friends or finally book that bucket list trip. But even the smallest and sweetest of goals, uh, getting a haircut, giving a hug, grabbing a drink, could feel like Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, and so basically it's saying this state of mind of being in the quarantine, it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep going and it's going to take a little while, even when we're allowed to come out of it, to come out of it. Hmm. Second one says the mask will become a wardrobe staple in the United States. Masks are more readily associated with crime than public health. We're in a nation of mask skeptics, but several states have enacted anti-mask laws through history as a means of quelling protests and stifling dissent. Goes on to say the mask aversion is compounded by the longstanding epidemic of police violence against people of color, some of whom understandably fear the consequences of purchasing essential goods while cloaked in a prophylactic bandana. Even now, it's easy for a mask to evoke dastardly connotations or to be mistaken for a disguise. I didn't even really think about that, actually. Yeah, like once we feel like we're not, quote unquote, under like code red alert, people wearing masks going forward, uh, that might seem extra strange. It says, but public sentiment on the issue of masks is evolving just as the U.S. mobilizes to provide frontline workers with personal protective equipment amid mask shortages. Brands are also swooping in to meet a surge in demand for masks that gel with modern consumer taste. So either way, it looks like the mask is probably here to stay. Absolutely. I've heard some people theorize they think our kids might go back to school with masks next year. So we'll see. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. I mean, everyone's just guessing now, but that's one that I've heard kind of floated around. So, wow. Uh Number three, childcare will finally be recognized as essential work as well. 
It was one of the earliest and most visible effects of the coronavirus pandemic. First one, then several, then all 50 states shuttered their schools. Hmm. Many daycare centers closed, too. And in the span of a few weeks, tens of millions of American parents, most of whom ordinarily work outside the home, suddenly became full-time child care workers. For the relatively fortunate, that has meant trying to work from home while simultaneously caring for children without help from family members and caretakers and without the ability to entertain kids with trips or play dates. Hmm. For others, it has meant making a wrenching decision between taking care of family and getting a paycheck. Either way, hmm. wow. for many people around the country, parents and non-parents alike, the sheer work of taking care of children all day suddenly has become extremely obvious in the past, this work has often been invisible. Many parents feel the need to hide or minimize the evidence of their child at the office. Meanwhile, about 80 percent of private sector employees and 93 percent of low wage workers have zero paid parental leave. And so this concept that child care is now um, essential, I think, is one of the one of the things that's going to come out of this. Yeah, this next one's interesting. America will become a nation of savers. The effect of the coronavirus pandemic on our sense of economic confidence will have everything to do with how long we are stuck inside, how long we are out of work, and what safety nets fail us in the interim. Even if stay-at-home orders are mostly, quote, over by this summer, how many of us would risk our lives to frequent restaurants or go shopping? The virus, whenever it's over, will affect our every financial, demographic, and lifestyle decision from borrowing money to having children to living in crowded cities. The U.S. Consumer Confidence Index has already dropped 30% since February. Wow. <laughs> Millions of newly unemployed workers and small businesses already can't or aren't paying their rent or mortgage. And it's happening. And it's all happening as about 30% of Americans have zero emergency savings and only one fifth having savings sufficient to last six months. No surprise. Our country has been overspending for decades. Our national savings rate has declined dramatically since the 1950s and 60s. If and when people emerge from their homes, they'll be cowed, not confident economic actors. That's a very interesting predicament. That's it. And this next one's interesting. The U.S. will test run more just policing and incarceration. Mm. Amid the coronavirus pandemic, incarcerated Americans, the 2.3 million people often housed in overcrowded facilities, many of color, many with undermanaged chronic health problems, have emerged as one of the nation's most vulnerable populations. Outbreaks have ripped through prisons and jails, including New York, New York's Rikers Island, Illinois facilities, including Chicago's Cook County Jail and the Stateville Correctional Center the Parnell Correction Center in Jackson, Michigan, and many others across the nation, a scenario that was unnervingly predictable. And for the sake of time, I'll just stop there. But it says, basically, going forward, I think that our culture is going to need to rethink, or some people will be rethinking, uh, especially around the concept of incarceration. Yeah, no kidding. That's super fascinating. All right, so what I want to do, Brian, I want to read the rest of them. And as I'm reading them, I want you to think about the one or two that most stand out to you and yep. maybe you can uh, elaborate on it. So here's the rest of the list of 11 ways this is going to change the way we live. Uh, we'll realize that the American economic system is fundamentally broken. Uh, voting will become easier and turnout might go up. Uh, restaurants will close and what's left could be villa. That's interesting. Uh, free money might someday be bound for your bank account. I think that's already happened, right? <laughs> Say goodbye to handshakes and casual hugs and kisses. Religions will embrace their online future. Maybe that's the one Brian will choose. And I think that's the end of the list. There is there one that stands out to you? Yeah. I mean, we've talked about the religion one a lot, so I won't do that one. But okay. um, the restaurant one is fascinating to me because 
it, it, it's not just that restaurants will close, but they'll become more vanilla. Why? You might be thinking, why is that? Well, it's because the big chain restaurants are probably going to yeah. be able to, to withstand this. Right. But the ones that give your town or the city character and the ones that often have the best food or the most um, are most unique are the like are the most likely ones to not be able to make it or to really struggle here. And so, you know, we might be left with more chain restaurants and more of a. Uh, 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 and lose some of those things, like we said, that give our towns, uh, you know, we all love, I live in Downers Grove and there are just so many great restaurants on Main Street right in downtown. And I feel, I, I would be so sad if any of them went away, but those are the types of restaurants that are going to struggle right. to, uh, to get through this and come out the other side. Whereas Chili's, Olive Garden or fast food restaurants more than likely are going to be able to keep going. Right. And I, I find the voting one to be really interesting, too. And again, this was like right in the midst of the outbreak. But in Milwaukee, for example, the number of available polling places shrank from 180 to just five right. for a city of about 592,000 people. So I'm yeah, I'm really curious to see exactly how all of that sort of morphs in the months and years ahead. And again, you know, like we said, this is all sort of guesswork for us. And we'd love to know what you think. The articles over on our Facebook page. What from this list? really resonated with you? What would you add? What do you completely disagree with? You can have all of those conversations over on the Facebook page, the Common Good Radio Show. All right, so coming up next, I'm really interested in this one. The headline from the New York Times is, yes, even introverts can be lonely right now. Introverts Mm. crave connection too. We just need more boundaries. That's coming up next here on the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good, or just welcome to The Common Good. Maybe you didn't leave at all. Maybe you've been here faithfully the entire time. And for that, I say thank you. We hope you're doing well. And uh, I don't know that we say it enough, Brian. We probably should say it more. Not only do we feel really grateful to have this platform and this opportunity, but we want you to know that we're, we're praying for you guys. We're thinking about you. We know that. We do a lot of reading and we do a lot of speculating and conversing, but it is also something that I know as pastors, uh, we're thinking about you. We're really, really grateful for the Common Good community and the ways you guys have encouraged us and you've given us notes of encouragement. Or you've made suggestions and uh, we would love to interact with you. You can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show, and you can send us messages there or comment on articles. We're also podcasted and subscribing, rating and reviewing there does really help us out a whole lot. Plus, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk and 1160hope.com slash the common good. And before we get into this article about how introverts are navigating this pandemic and quarantine, I want to tell you a little bit about Thrivent. So Thrivent Financial is an organization that I love. I've been a Thrivent member for like seven or eight years. You can learn more at Thrivent.com. But if you're looking for a career change, Thrivent.com slash careers is a great place to go. If you want to be your own boss, you have kind of an entrepreneurial drive. I'd highly encourage you to recommend and check that out. Also, one of the ways that they've been giving back is they're hosting all these really brilliant webinars totally for free. We've posted all that information on our Facebook page. But if you're looking to uh, to get some resources or some encouragement about how to navigate these really strange times, uh, Thrivent is putting out, I think, like four or five in the next week or so. So head on over to the Facebook page. You can see all of the schedule there. And uh, we would love to serve you in that way. As I mentioned earlier, this is an article out of New York Times. Headline is, yes, even introverts can be lonely right now. What's going on here, Brian? It's a fascinating article. I would encourage you to go read it because, I don't know, you've probably had this with people. I actually was on the phone with somebody from our church just the other day. And we were talking about life now with the pandemic and this and that. And, And this person said the exact phrase. They said, I'm an introvert. I'm loving this was their exact mm, phrase. Interesting. And 
this New York Times article is written by a guy. He says, I'm an introvert, and he, and he wants to show that we kind of get extroversion and introversion wrong. So the first half is him talking about what it's like to be an introvert in his own life. And then he goes on to say, in a pair of studies, people rated their energy hourly or weekly. Extroverts felt more energized when they were being talkative and outgoing, but introverts did, too. Hmm. Then in an experiment, people were randomly assigned to act like extroverts or introverts in a group discussion, acting extroverted, energized, even the introverts. Being introverted has nothing to do with liking alone time, the author writes. It turns out that the desire for solitude comes from a different trait altogether, independence. Hmm. Uh, so it goes on to say Susan Cain, the author of Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking, said Everybody draws energy from other people. Introverts aren't antisocial. They're just differently social. Interesting. What makes introverts different is our sensitivity to stimulation, she writes. We're more easily overloaded than extroverts. When introverts spend a whole week acting like extroverts, there's evidence that the emotional benefits fade and costs begin to emerge. Hmm. Uh, I, uh, introverts start to feel more negative emotions, more exhaustion, less authenticity, uh, the author says, I enjoy being with other people. Some of my best friends are extroverts. Just don't make me sit next to them on a long flight. Uh, and so I'll stop there for a second. That, that's some interesting differences than how I've always been taught extroverts and introverts are, right? Uh, you've always been taught very, uh, very uh, extroverts want to be in the party and introverts want to read a book at home, right? Like that's right. kind of what you're taught. And he's saying, no, it's a, it's a lot more nuanced than that, which is then going to talk about how introverts are going to also struggle in time of a pandemic. Well, and if you've never seen Susan Cain's Ted talk, I stop haven't. what you're doing and go watch it. Like it is whether you're an extrovert or an introvert or an ambivert or somewhere in between it, it is a, uh, it's a fascinating take. And I think that's why her book kind of blew up because it was offering some new perspective, which is interesting because you know, there, there is some pressure, I think on both sides for your extroversion or introversion to, to look a particular way, and the article goes on to say, now that we're all in some form of isolation, this knowledge has implications for how we fight loneliness. If you're extroverted, you might find yourself opting for virtual co-working with strangers. Introverts crave social connection, too. We just need to be careful not to overdo it. For me, eating alone is a happy desk lunch because it allows me to stay focused and avoid getting drained. New evidence shows that working through lunch alone doesn't bother people as long as it's their choice. It hurts only when people want connection but can't find it. That's really key. The good news is that it doesn't take a village to fight loneliness. My colleague Sigal Barsade has found that what that it takes just one friend to feel less isolated at work. It doesn't require a long interaction either. My mentor Jane Dutton has spent years studying high-quality connections, and she finds that even brief encounters can leave us feeling seen. As Dr. Dutton put it recently on Work Life, 40 seconds of interaction, a positive, caring interaction has measurable impacts on both people. And now that I'm thinking back even to like brief interactions when we all were working together, like yeah. more than just walking past my desk, like, hey, man, what's up? Like that, feel, that feels nice, too. But I that 40 seconds, that's an interesting number. I wonder how they came to that. But do, do you find that to be true in your own life, even though you're maybe more extroverted? I, I do. And man, this article is really interesting. I, it's kind of uh, the, the, the thought process that introverts need this kind of same interaction and also are feeling lonely in this process. Um, it's just really interesting. This, this is uh, interesting. You're much more of an extrovert, right? Uh, no, nope. I'm like right on the line. I'm, I'm actually technically m more introverted than extroverted. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So what is the issue? What is the um, the isolation done for you? 
Okay, so the comment here in this article, if we're going to get honest, the uh, the distinction, where is it in the article? Either way, I'll summarize it. The, the yeah. idea that um, isolation, when it's your choice, is life-giving. Mm. When it's not your choice, is, like, devastating. You know, like, even in college... I I liked alone time, but I also like I would also I would often overdo it socially too. I would just say yes to everything and everyone, and and that can obviously lead to really unhelpful places. But for me, I found that when I was choosing to say no to be alone, home in the room, that was life giving, and I and I got a lot of energy from that. But if you were just alone, waiting for someone to call or someone to text or invite you to go, that was like crushing. And that's how I kind of knew that I have a buddy, a good buddy of mine who. We were talking about this recently. He said, my first waking thought when I get up in the morning is, when can I be around people? And I'm like, hmm. oh, no, I do not. <laughs> I don't. He's like, yeah, I, he's a wedding photographer. He's like, sometimes I'll, if a wedding ends early, I'll just find another wedding just to be around people. <laughs> I'm yes. like, oh, yeah, I don't. But he's so that's like a chart extrovert. Right. He's true extroversion for sure. I should call him because I wonder how he's doing right now. No, that's true. Do you know, uh, I've told you this well before any of this, what's going on now. As I get older, I become more introverted. I was off the charts extrovert in my mm. mid-20s, mm. Um, which, you know, my wife and I had to work through. We got married young, and my wife said introvert. So I was always like, let's go out. Let's go out. Let's go see people. And she was like, can we just, like, have dinner in and watch a movie? Or Right, right. Um, <laughs> but interestingly, as I, I I find myself being drawn more towards introvert, introvert uh, tendencies. But uh, that's a really good way to put it, man, because you do remember those days back in college. It's like. You know, the introvert might say there are times where I just enjoy choosing to be in, but like when nobody calls me or nobody asks me, do you got, mm. you know, do you want to come hang out? But that's still the same feel that the extrovert gets of like loneliness and I'm not involved and I'm not with anybody. That's uh, that's really interesting. It would be interesting to know if somebody who's a real introvert, like not you said you're kind of near the midline, how yeah. they are doing with this. Like if yeah. this is this rhythm has been nicer or if it's also still a struggle. Yeah, maybe I should have my wife on. I would love to hear her perspective. I mean, my wife is brilliant as it is. She would put it so much better than I can. But even like being home with the one and two year old, we wouldn't necessarily see as like social time because like, well, you know, you're not having conversation, but that still can drain not just like your physical energy, but your like emotional, intellectual energy. And I feel like that often isn't addressed nearly enough. Like, well, you're not having to be around big crowds of people, so you're probably fine. I don't think that's the case. I think that there is a different kind of emotional drain that comes from like chasing two toddlers around all day. That is more than just physical. And I, I could be, I'm talking way above my pay grade right now. Maybe we should, I mean, we talked about this before we should have an episode with both of our wives on. That would be, that would be a ton of fun. And our last show. No, that'd be awesome. Actually. (laughs) Well, let me, Um, let me just, let me just end with the way that she ended this article. Cause I think it's really good. Um, So that's what I did when I was in Michigan feeling lonely. I made a list of the hundred people who mattered most in my life and spent a week writing them each an email about what I appreciated about them. As the replies rolled in, I no longer felt alone. Voicing sentiments that had gone unspoken seemed to make our bond stronger. Looking back, a hundred emails in a week was a little extreme. Even one a day would have elevated my mood and my sense that I mattered. It doesn't take a Herculean effort to go from feeling lonely to feeling connected. Even if we're far apart physically, we can come closer together emotionally, which, again, I think is a really timely word right now as like we're all sort of feeling the weight of this isolation, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's a good reminder that the introverts aren't like internally throwing parties right now because they get to be home. Like it's a lot more complex than that. 100%. 
Well, coming up next, we're going to land the, the plane the way that we do every day for better or for worse with some interweb insanity, stories we have not read, sound effects we have not heard. And that is coming up next here on the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the Internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the, probably too many places if I'm honest. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. We are also sharing articles there and you can leave comments there. You can send us a message if you want. You can find us at 1160hope.com slash The Common Good on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk and wherever it is you get your podcast. As we're wrapping up the show today and you're thinking to yourself, man, I enjoyed that. That wasn't totally terrible maybe subscribe <laughs> rate review and share it with a friend we know people are looking for podcast suggestions and we would be honored to be among them brian this is a segment that we've done longer than almost anything else we've regularly done on this show yes and it does maybe raise the question for some people why why do you do this? <laughs> well, we're not entirely sure it's interweb insanity it's stories that we have not read with sound effects that we have not heard we're trusting our producers and we just walk into this as blindly as the rest of you, and uh, why don't you kick us off, Brian Fromm? I will. First one's out of Washington, D.C. Uh, President Trump plans to reopen national parks as coronavirus restrictions ease. National parks will be reopening soon after being closed for weeks to contain the spread of the coronavirus, President Trump uh, announced Wednesday. Thanks to our significant progress made against the invisible enemy, I'm pleased to announce that in line with my administration's guidelines for opening up America again, we will begin to reopen our national parks and public lands for American people to enjoy, uh, Trump said during an Earth Day ceremony on the White House lawn. That's going to be very exciting. We have a lot of land to open up, too. People are going to be very happy. Sorry, folks. Parks closed. The moose out front should have told you. <laughs> <laughs> that one feels like the drop was driving the story. Is, yes. Am I, right there? <laughs> I totally get it. All right. Next one's out of California. Majority of Americans now fearful of shopping inside grocery stores. This feels like a heavy interweb insanity segment, doesn't it? 60% of American consumers are now, quote, fearful to shop at a grocery store due to the coronavirus, according to a new report. CNR research uh, recently surveyed more than 2,000 consumers to find out if Americans have changed their grocery shopping habits. It found 60% feel a sense of panic or anxiety when they shop. 45% disinfect the groceries they bring when they bring them home. More than one third of shoppers said they said more should be done to protect consumers from COVID-19 and half said grocery stores need to do more to properly protect their employees. Death stalks you at every turn. Grandpa. Well, it does. Ah, there, there it is. Death. It's only Maggie. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, at my age, the mind starts playing tricks. So, ah, death. That's only the cat. Oh, ah, death. That's Maggie again, Grandpa. Oh, where were we? Death. Uh, next one's out of California. Tickets for speeding in excess of 100 miles per hour surged 87% amid coronavirus shutdown. With freeway traffic down significantly because of statewide stay-at-home order, the California Highway Patrol said Wednesday there's been an alarming 87% increase in citations in excess of 100 miles an hour. The message from the CHP? Slow down. One motorist, in fact, was arrested uh, with speeding, reckless driving, and driving without a license after our officers clocked him going 165 miles an hour in a Chevrolet Camaro. 
It's alarming to see the number of citations officers are writing for excess speeds on California roadways. Higher speeds can lead to much more serious injuries and significantly increase the chance of death should a crash occur. Let him go, Lou. Someone going that fast has no time for a ticket. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of a classic. All right, this one's out of Louisiana. 96-year-old World War II veteran is running coast-to-coast again. Wait, I'm going to just read that one again. 96-year-old World War II veteran is running coast-to-coast again, this time to raise money to sail a restored ship. What? This is the coolest person ever. Ernie Andrus, of course his name is a cool name like Ernie Andrus, has always preferred running to walking. Now at 96 years old, he's running coast-to-coast, including a stretch through Louisiana that led him from Crot Springs to Billy's Boudin, at about 3.8 miles west on Highway I-90. Andrus' next stop, Beta's Bar along Highway I-90, featured a sign saying Ernie's finishing point. He averages 13 miles a week on a run that he expects to finish in the next four years. That's amazing. The World War II veteran is running across the country to raise money to sail the fully restored military landing ship, the USS LST-325, to Normandy for a D-Day anniversary. Oh, my gosh. The idea to run coast-to-coast started when Andrus heard about a man from Great Britain running across every country. This inspired Andrews to plan a run across the U.S., but first, he had to make sure that he could do it. Are you crying? Am I crying? No, I'm not crying. You're crying. Okay. I am kind of. A, I mean, that's... I don't know if you've that's ever, helpful. like, gone to a marathon before and seen people, you know, in their 80s and 90s finishing it. It's emotional, man. It's an, it's an amazing thing to see. Besides that guy being amazing, how about being 96 and planning anything that's going to take four years? Right, man. <laughs> You're I'm like, 37, and I'm like, I don't want to plan too far in advance. I know. All right, last one's out of California. Tom Hanks gives fitting gift to bullied boy Corona. Okay. It's not easy having the name Corona in the midst of, oh, corona, in no. the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Oh. Just ask eight-year-old Corona DeVries, who became the target of verbal attacks from bullies. The boy from Queensland, Australia, was feeling so down that he decided to write to someone else he knew was having a hard time. Tom Hanks. Corona had heard that the Toy Story star had fallen ill with the virus in Australia, along with his wife, Rita Wilson. Uh, he wrote, are you OK? Uh, he didn't expect a response. And but it said, thank you for being such a good friend. Friends make friends feel good when they are down. Hanks wrote in a type letter recently wow. delivered alongside a vintage Corona brand typewriter. One of Hanks's prized possessions. This is Tom Hanks saying, if you see me in person, please leave me be. <laughs> That's funny. That's an amazing story. That's an amazing story. Well, I'm, I'm glad we're ending on a high note. Fingers crossed we can also wrap up the week that way. But tune in to find out if that's actually what happens. We're here 4 to 6 p.m. every weekday for Brian Fromm. My name is Ian Simpkins, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.